Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Are you there, Joshua 5? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's set a preface to it and we'll get ready to get in. Lord, thank you so much for the brilliant privilege of being able to see you at work in your word. We recognize, Lord, that this beautiful story we're about to dive into again is reality. It's a history. It's an account of something that literally took place roughly 3,500 years ago. And we are so excited to be able to to see, Lord, how you manifest, especially in this season and how this pertains to us now. Lord, please, thank you for being our God, our Lord, our King, our friend, our love. And thank you for being here tonight. Cause your word to bust open, flourish before us, color in the black and white, do beautiful and profound things here tonight, I pray. Make this night amazing, I pray. So have your way, Lord, I pray. Immerse me in your Holy Spirit. May we have so much fun in your word. May we really, really be captivated, drawn in, and redeem every second, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. What's saying tonight isn't what any. Please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible be your authority. So, you're watching some movie about a superhero. Let's just call him, I don't know, Platinum Man or something. And in Platinum Man, someone else has gotten some of the plans or maybe even worse yet, Platinum Man is joined with other people, you know, Sergeant Afghanistan and, you know, some other people, you know, the, the Incredible Bulk or something. And they've all got together and something shows up and they really seem like it's got the best of them. And you just watch them and their lives are struggling in peril. And they on the screen, they're freaking out. They're like, we're going to die. We're going to die. But we don't feel that way because we just know there's going to be Avengers 3. I mean, there's making too much money to stop. Now, I mean, you just kind of know you can't kill these guys now. And you know that because somehow when you just kind of maybe you were attuned a little bit to the script, maybe you read the comics or whatever the case is, you kind of were a little bit, and, that, and the writers do that sometimes where they kind of let you in and you see them freak out, but they freak out and you've already read ahead. You kind of know. And you get this heroic mindset, well, if I were there, you would act the same as them. Because in the end of it all, you wouldn't have read the chapters either. And here we are in Joshua. We are on the we are right at the shore of a fantastic, dramatic victory that was robbed of them 38 years ago because they've refused to step by faith. We know it's a victory. We know it's a victory not just because God promised it, but because we've read it. Many of us, we've read the next few chapters. We kind of know. Maybe you were one of those kids and you saw it in a flannel graph or a cartoon and it's like, and the walls came tumbling down. You know, and you, you hear the stories and we just kind of know. But see, these guys didn't read those chapters. They weren't being written yet because they haven't lived it yet. So in the end of it all, what they're looking at is the same thing you face, maybe just in a little bit more of a dire circumstance. And that is battle. They're about to face three, and please mark me on this, three major battles. And what we're going to find is that each one of those battles pertains to the three major battles you will face in life. 
Now, we're not talking about circumstances. They'll all be able to fit into one of those categories sooner or later. And when we get there, Jericho will be one, Ai will be another, and Gibeon will be the third. We will see how those play out in our own Christian lives. And I love going through these chapters because one of the cool things about it is as we dig in, we're like, oh, yeah, I get it. Oh, yeah, just like that. I, how does that pertain? How do I play that out in my own life? And, and so, no, here we are now. We're on the verge. Uh, we haven't fought a battle yet with these groups. This, this is a brand new battle. It's a brand new army. The guys that fought in the wilderness, they're all dead. They're dead except for Joshua and Caleb. Everyone else, they're dead. Kids now are actually born and raised up. And they have really never really fought except maybe with each other over allowance, that kind of thing. So they're facing a battle. And in the same way, just might I say, the same thing is going to happen to you. God never promised you a battleless life. What he did promise you was victory in him. And you'll never see victory if you don't go to the battle. You could talk about somebody else's victory, great-grandpa, whatever, or, you know, I heard a story once, or I read this thing, or someone forwarded it to me because they said they, you know, they were told they weren't a Christian if they didn't forward it to everyone on their contact list, or whatever it is. But in the end of it all, you want the stories about your own life, about how God is victorious in your own life. Well, let me just say, today we are preparing for the battle. What we're doing today is we are not, well, we will probably not get actually at, to the place where we're seeing the wall fall in Jericho. But what we are going to do is how do we prepare for the battle ahead of time? Now, this is the benefit they have, is that they're staring at Jericho while God starts to prepare them. So in other words, they know that the battle, they know kind of where it's probably going to come from. I perhaps as well. Gibeon, on the other hand, that will be a very different thing. And then they'll have to actually, they're kind of, then they'll cut the nation basically in half, and then they'll have to take on the south and the north. That's basically the book of Joshua, and then the way it's allotted, the land. But see, for us, most of the time, we don't see those battles, do we? It isn't like, you know, someone's kind enough to go, hey, by the way, angel, I just want you to know next Tuesday, that's not a prophecy. You know, and it's like, you know, and it's like, you're like oh, I've got till Tuesday to prepare, you know. And for some of us, if God told us that, to be honest, we might actually chump out until Monday and then try to get serious in the day before. And I'm not here to raise any form of paranoia, but the opposite. If we know that every battle that God's going to allow, and by the way, God, no, nothing gets at you without God's allowance. You're aware of that. If God really is sovereign, and God really does know everything, and He is almighty, no way is it going to get to you unless He allows it. And God is not going to allow it unless you're going to have victory if you call on Him. So what we see today, by the way, in our text, will be a very practical, a very simple way of how do I prepare for the battle, whether that battle is this evening, or whether that battle is a year away from now. If this, so in other words, this is going to have to be more than just, okay, let's get these ducks in a row because we might be in a battle. This needs to be our lifestyle. Because if this is our lifestyle, well then think about it. That means that we should be ready for the battle at any given moment. And we should never even have to find ourselves on the ropes. And that's what would be the intention here. So take a look at it with me as we dig in. It tells us, and again, I remind you, we have just crossed the Jordan. As we've just crossed the Jordan, I remind you, this was after Rahab the harlot, Rahab the harlot, it said back in Joshua 2.10, We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. So this is the reputation that Jericho has about Israel and their God, is that God did something really bizarre and cool. What he did is he opened up water so they could walk on dry land 
And then on the other side of it, they got crazy victory. So could you imagine what happens now when they appear to be your enemy and the next thing you saw is that God stops the water for them to walk across? It's a simple process. God parted the water, then they kicked serious tush. Now God's parted the water again. It's easy to fill in the blank, especially when the tush is yours. So it says in chapter 5, verse 1. So it was when all the kings of the Amorites who were on the west side of the Jordan and all of the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until, notice the term we, that means that Joshua is there in writing it, had crossed over, that their hearts melted. There was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. Now, this does not mean they gave up the ghost and died. Remember, spirit speaks of two different things. The spirit speaks of the spirit of God or the spirit of a person. On the other side of it, spirit, like in, for, in America, we used to have spirit rallies. I don't know if they called, you know, what that would be called today. But it was sort of like if a team from your school was about to go somewhere, they'd gather the school together. Some girls would shake their pom-poms and make everybody yell. It's kind of silly, and that would make the team think they were ready for victory. That was kind of the idea. But it's the same word, and the idea of it is the attitude of a heart. That's the idea, by the way, when Jesus says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. The idea of it is, in the simplest sense, blessed are you if you're not full of yourself. That's kind of the idea. I mean, a person full of themselves will never be happy. Interesting. You could be, you, no matter how full of yourself you will be, you will never be full, even if you're full of yourself. Now, back in this, these people and others, they are now very freaked out. Now, you would think... God's just parted the river as he's parted the Jordan. And many of you were here last week where we talked about the Jordan stopped at Adam beside Zeratan and why that's so important. Now, with all of that said, you know, you would think with God parting the river, we've come across the river. It's overflowing its banks. It's the springtime. Let's just go and let's just take the city. But there was a whole batch of things to do, four things specifically to do before we actually Face, get our hands dirty in the battle. Take a look at it with me. So it says in verse 2, At that time the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives for yourself. Circumcise the sons of, of Israel again a second time. So Joshua made flint knives for himself. Circumcised the sons of Israel at the hill of foreskins. That's definitely not a place to get a t-shirt or a postcard. And this is the reason why. And you really do want to read this so you realize he didn't ever do anyone twice. This is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt, who were males, men of war, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. For all the people who came out had been circumcised. But all the people born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people who were men of war who came out of Egypt were consumed because they did not obey the voice of the Lord to whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers that he would give, that he would give us. Again, notice the us. A land flowing with milk and honey. So, so then Joshua circumcised their sons whom he raised up in their places for they were uncircumcised because they hadn't been circumcised on the way. So it was when he had finished circumcising all the people that they stayed in their places in the camp till they were healed. You think? Now, and then the Lord said to Joshua, This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore the name of the place is Rolling. 
That's what Gilgal means to this day. Now, here's how this whole thing starts. And actually, let's go a little bit farther. Now, the children of Israel camped at Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight at the plains of Jordan. And they ate the produce of the land on the day after the Passover, unleavened bread and parched grain on that very same day. Well, then the manna ceased. Did you notice there was no gap? The manna ceased on the day after they had eaten the produce of the land, and the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food of the land of Canaan that year. And our first 12 verses, or if you will, verses 2 to 12, we have our first thing. What God is challenging the people to do seems from a practical sense a very huge step back. You want your guys at their tip-top strength. You would think you would be injecting them with steroids. You would think you would be building, you would be thinking you'd be making knives, but not to cut your own men. You would think you might be developing shields, practicing your Kung Fu. You'd think you might be whatever the thing would be. And God says that is not the way we prepare for battle first. The first thing we need to do is consecrate. Now, please hear me on this, because this seems so strange from the physical battle. Because, again, you know that if, the, if, if Jericho was to attack, we would be toast. I mean, if there's ever been a time where we were most vulnerable, it would have to be at that moment. Now, which one of you wants to be Joshua when you have to tell all the new men of war what's going to have to happen first? Like, uh, guys, before we fight, swing. You know, it's not like you can quit. Ladies, at that point, would you just be praising God you were a woman? But please, please hear me. This idea of circumcision comes all the way out of Genesis chapter 17. Chapter 12, God speaks to Abraham and he gets out. He leaves first. But chapter 15, he reconstitutes, he makes that covenant, he reconstitutes that covenant. But then by chapter 17, God says, if you're going to receive what I offer, I need, and forgive me, I'm going to try to say this carefully, the most delicate, the most vulnerable, the most tender spot you have exposed to me. It is through this you will feel pain. And I want to warn you, obviously, I mean, you never have a doctor go, this is going to hurt a little. Thanks. But you will also feel, feel a tremendous amount more pleasure that you would, could never have felt before. Interesting, because then when God reiterates that, twice more will he say, in regards to another area than the area of the man, then he will actually have this particular area. And that is the area, well, here, let me read you a couple of verses to give you an idea. Chapter 17, verse 10 says, This is the covenant that you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. As a matter of fact, by verse 14, he says, And the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised, thus uncircumcised, in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. And I don't even want to think that God's making a pun there. He has broken my covenant. By chapter 4 of Exodus, of course, we're aware of the fact that Moses... His wife has to circumcise his kids because God was going to slay him if he didn't. But then when we get to the book of Deuteronomy, 
God starts bringing out the major point for all of us. When he says in Deuteronomy 10, verse 16, circumcise the foreskin of your heart. Be stiff-necked no longer. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul that you may live. Jeremiah 4.4 Circumcise yourself to the Lord and take away the foreskins of your heart, you men of Judah, inhabitants of Israel. Lest my fury come upon you forth like fire and burn so that no one can quench it because of the evil of your doings. Interesting. When God speaks about this cutting open of the most vulnerable parts, the most tender part, the most delicate part, God speaks about it about the heart. And that, by the way, means, ladies, you're not exempt because you have one of those two. But I get it. Here's the irony. From a physical battle perspective, from the perspective of a physical battle, the last thing you want to do is take the part that's most vulnerable, that's most tender, that's most delicate, and carve into it. Open it up. You would rather do whatever you could to to protect yourself. And again, I'm trying to be careful how I say this. And don't you feel the same when you're about to go into any other kind of battle? It's like your heart does the same thing. It's like it's vulnerable and you're like, Fat chance, I'm going to open this up. I know I'm going to get hurt if that's the case. I know I'm going to battle, so this thing is a fortress. And God says, if you're really going to go to battle with me, you cannot have this thing locked up. Because if you do, you won't be able to hear my voice when I tell you how we're going to win this. It's part of the consecration, but it's not the only thing that they're going to do here to consecrate. But understand, whatever the battle is in your life, that has to be the first thing. And you guys know this, because there are two things that are clear in Scripture, by the way, that could really swallow up an open heart. It tells us, by the way, for what it's worth, one of them clearly is sin. Because in Hebrews 3.13, listen to this. Exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. It isn't even just sin that hardens your heart, it's the deceitfulness of sin. So what you do is you say, you know, that's not so bad, that's not really a sin, or, well, they deserve it anyways, because you know how they've treated me, and I'm going to treat them, and you know what you're going to do is a sin, but at that point you feel like you're okay with it, and what you're doing is you're hardening your heart by the lies you're telling yourself because of that sin. Oh, come on, God made marijuana. What's the difference? You know, God made hemlock too, but I wouldn't suggest you eat that either. And the reason I say that, beloved, hear me, is that for some, what happens is the first time we do something, you know what happens. There's a check inside of you before you even get near it. And you're like, I don't know if this is right. You're going to be a little careful about this. But once you jump into it, Two days, three days later, you don't blink an eye at the same thing that really made your heart race in concern before the first time. And the easiest time to say no is before you've ever done something. But inside you're like, but what is it like if I try? I'll tell you what it's like. It's like, I wonder what it's like to go and do time. But from that point on, you'll always have done time. That's what it's like. And you're going to have to live with that. And here's the good news. God can change that. Well, the area of the heart, that is. 
But if you're going to, whatever the battle is, and I want to warn you, every one of us, you're going to face these battles. We're going to have to have an open heart. Let me tell you what the other thing is. And it's clearest, by the way, for, at least as far as I can see, in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 19. And it says there, by the way, listen, a brother offended is harder to win than a strong city. And contentions, the things you have that are against another person, are like the bars of a castle. And the idea is quite simple. Is that you've been hurt. And because you've been hurt or offended, your heart is closed up. You know what's amazing? Is your heart can be closed up to someone who loves you more than just about anyone else. And you even know that they love you. But something you're still holding on to is like the bars of a castle. And you're like, you know what? I'm going to be nice to you at times. But you know every once in a while when you get poked in the wrong way, it comes out. You ever have that where it's like you've been really nice, but all of a sudden like the Hulk pops out of your face for a moment and you don't even know why it came out that way? I remind you, Jesus says in Matthew 12, 34, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It isn't just it's a little bit in your heart. It has to be abundant to fall out. In other words, your mouth is the overflow valve for what's in your heart. And mine too, by the way. And if we're going to be ready for the battle, whether you see the battle before you right now or not, and I want to warn you, we are all about watching God save lives here and transform them. We are going to be on the offense or continue to be on the offense. I like that. So I would expect, hey, I'm not going to wait for the battle to come to me. Chances are I'm probably going to find myself in it. If you hang out with me, I want to warn you, you're going to be with me on that. Good. It'll be nice to be able to compare the stories later. But in that, first of all, we have to have an open heart. And you're like, but you don't understand if my heart is open, it's going to hurt. Can I say, yes, it is going to hurt. As a pastor, one of the first things you learn, well, if you're going to try to be one like Jesus, is you're going to have your heart broken almost every day. But I will be able to give you fresh stories of how Jesus heals a broken heart like every day because of that. And isn't that the sacrifice that God promised he would never turn away? A broken and contrite spirit. Because these are the sacrifices I'm really looking for. You give me everything else with a closed heart, God's like, I'm not impressed. I know what's wrong. And didn't Jesus tell us that in Matthew when he said, hey, you're going to leave your gift at the altar, but you know there's a problem between you and someone else. And when there's a problem between you and someone else, don't be playing this game with me of just giving me something and thinking it's all right. When you went and you hurt someone, now go get that dealt with. Go ask for forgiveness. Go be kind. Go ask. Humble yourself. A hard heart does not humble itself. And that's the beginning of this. It's, but this is all part of consecration. The idea of consecrate, all that means is to be set apart. Set yourself apart. Because if we're going to go to battle, this isn't about who's smarter. This isn't about who's stronger. This isn't about who's more cunning. Who's more brilliant. Who's more wise. We are already victorious in Christ. And if my heart isn't open, I will be busier trying to win an argument and I won't care for the soul I'm speaking with. Or I think I will be. 
I think I'm caring, but in the end of it all, I'd be more happy to win the argument than I would for the person to be like, you know what? I really need help here. And what's interesting is what happens next. So here we are. And and can I just say, so as this is the case, I am not ready for the battle until my heart is ripped open, until it's cut open and exposed to God. And I have to ask myself, and I wrote this down, because when I do these kind of things, I write two different things, a thing called a point of action, a POA, and then I write a POI, which is a point of inventory. Am I inventorying in my own life? And the question I have is, are there any new soldiers in my heart or my heart's army that need to be cut open? Is there any new things? Because this is a whole new generation here. Are there new things that I'm looking at? And please understand... This is a really, and I I would love to get very transparent with you because this isn't about me, this is about Jesus, but I want to let you know, in my own battles, before I knew Jesus, I hated people. I'm just trying to be honest with you. I really did hate people. I mean, I I didn't talk to anyone. I know for some of you that probably seems very hard to believe, but really I was very quiet. I tried to give off the stink face, if that makes sense. The old, don't talk to me, don't come near me. Now I think the only time I see that face, by the way, is when I'm with someone else and we're, we have a, you know, kind of a challenge to see which one of us the person's going to try to get us, you know, like the canvassers that try to get you to sign up for the charity. I say, all right, whoever they come up to has to give them a hug. You know, and then we all try to give our scariest face or something. And I don't even have a scary face anymore, just a weird one. And the, the reason I'm telling you this, please hear me, is as your pastor and as a human being like you seeking to serve the Lord, The most natural thing in the world for me is to just get away from people. The most natural thing, and I can do it in such a way, I mean, because I've walked with Christ enough and I've learned how to play the game, I can do it in such a way that you probably think I'm doing holy stuff. I mean, if I'm going to be honest with you. Oh, he's probably in his room praying. Oh, there he is, probably in his ivory tower. He's probably just reading something in its original language. I mean, you know, the things you can kind of play off at moments like that. When truth of the story is, I could actually be backslidden at that moment. Now, backsliding for me is not running, chasing after girls or, or going out and getting wasted or anything like that. For me, to be honest, a backslide could easily just be me not having grace or compassion for people like I should. It's not the, the biggest backslide. I could get worse. I could just run around and start fighting people. But that's, I don't recommend that either. And the reason I say that is, is, is that for every one of us, whatever the thing is that you can go back to, that's easy to find some excuse to do it. Love on someone and watch them go nuts on you. Make crazy accusations that, make, that are, couldn't possibly be true. And you say to yourself, see, this is what happens when you love people. Now, whose voice is that that tells you that? That's the enemy's. Because I remind you, his job is to accuse. So the moment you live hearing accusations, you know who's, who, you know who's, stage, who's on the stage that you've chosen to be the audience to. And all of a sudden, you're like, wow, forget it then. And I've made a vow the moment I realized that the Lord had called me to be what a pastor, at least as much as I understood it, that I was not going to be one like the guys I'd seen that were unapproachable, that were distant, and really, to be honest, were so busy protecting themselves that nobody, I mean, they, I mean I'm sure that they were careful in a lot of ways, but to me it just seemed like it was really, really cold in the room. And I realized that when you're kind of love, when you love people and you're warm, 
Some people don't understand what the heck that means. But I pray for that. And, and the reason I'm telling you that is that's part of my battle. And all, when I want to get away, I'm like, forget it. I'll cut the cord. Just go home. Don't have, I don't want anything to do with you kind of thing. That's just hardening my heart. That's all that is. But you could harden your heart and then run and do drugs. You could run your and you could go, oh, see, fine. You you know, you can find your excuses. If you really want to sin, you'll find a reason. It's never a good one, but you can find it. But in the battle that we're all facing, beloved, we have to set ourselves apart to God. And that heart has to be open to do that. But then the next thing it tells us is that here's the cool part, gentlemen, and, and ladies, I'm sure you'll respect this too. It isn't like they went through this, you know, I, I don't, who wants to be the moil? That's the guy that does the cutting. But it isn't like, okay, now that you guys are all cut, let's go to battle. The next thing is you kind of have to heal. And when your heart does get rid of, ripped open, you're probably going to find a whole lot of scary stuff flying out. Especially if you've been bottling it up. Because what happens is you keep these contentions inside of you like a prisoner. That really, to be honest, it's like drinking poison to spite your enemy. And what happens, beloved, is that God wants to set you free from that so you could actually love people, even people that are stupid and nasty and rotten and call themselves Christians and live like the devil, that kind of stuff. You know, and, and, you, and it would be easy to say, oh, that person looks a lot more like Satan than they do like Jesus. Of course, they may say the same of you. But the reason I say that is, is that in the end of it all, somewhere down the line, you've got to have to heal too. Because if you're going to fight in a battle and you're still wounded like that, you're going to be a danger. You're going to be weak to the person next to you. And you're going to be probably really, really grumpy, which means you're not even going to be a real good team player. But what's interesting is when he did circumcise these guys, God says, now I have removed the reproach of Egypt. And I think, how interesting is that? A hard heart, a sealed heart, invulnerable to God, is the reproach of Egypt? Yeah, yeah, actually, that's the, that's the problem here. The reproach of Egypt was found in an uncircumcised heart. Now, when God opens up that vulnerable heart, I'm still not ready for battle. I'll need time to heal. This pain could make me a danger to those I fight beside, both in weakness and in attitude. And I ask again, are there any things that I've held in my heart as God starts to open them right now? So this is what I'm going to do before we even go any farther. I'm going to ask God to do that. I want to warn you. What if God really did that right now? I expect him to, by the way. Now maybe your heart is totally wide open, for which I say, praise God. But what if you still have something against someone? Maybe it was years ago, and you don't even notice it until you get attitude, and you have attitude with that person, and you're even surprised by the attitude that flies out. So, at least as an example, although you're welcome to amen it, this is like a line item veto. If you don't amen it, you're saying, I don't know if I'm ready for that, but I'm going to pray it right now for me. And you're welcome to amen it with me. And I, God, I just pray. If there be anything in my heart, if there be anything, if I've sealed up my heart at all to anyone, God. I'm not talking about not protecting it. I'm not talking about not guarding my heart from the influence of foolish things. But if I have in some way sealed up my heart because of the deceitfulness of sin or by some form of offense in a manner so that I'm not hearing you like I should, cut me open. And let's spill out all of the nastiness and muck and filth or whatever else that could be in my heart so that you would make your home there.
In Jesus' name. Amen. But did you notice there was one other thing that took place after that? And all of this is part of consecrating. We cut open our hearts. We heal. But we also celebrate. Did you notice it also said that they celebrated the Passover during this time? Now, don't you think that's a strange thing? If these guys were going to attack, and there we all are with our cups of wine and our slaughtered lambs and our pieces of bread like we do with communion. Imagine, this is a pretty big, this is one of the first of the three great feasts, and there we all are doing our dancing and our singing and so forth. It's kind of like, here I am, shoot me, here I am, shoot me. I mean, that's what we're kind of saying, right, if we're not following God. But this is what God's, and here's the cool thing. Did you notice it didn't say, now, go do the Passover and then circumcise. Because here's the thing, here's the part you're going to miss, is that if your heart isn't open, you'll never celebrate like you could. You'll be there and you'll see other people or hear other people singing praises beside you, and you'll almost loathe them because you're like, oh, that guy's probably a fake, because look at how loud he's singing. Because really, in the end of it all, if you were singing like that, you would be a fake because your heart's shut. But now that our hearts are open, or in this case, the vulnerable part's been cut, And now that we've had chance to heal, now we can celebrate. And what do we celebrate? That the lamb has been slaughtered so we could be delivered out of our land of bondage. Now for us, what does that look like? It gets back to the cross. So from the point that we're going to be, listen, if we're going to fight the battle, if we're going to run to this battle, our hearts need to be open and we need to cling to the cross. And all of that is what it means to consecrate. Because let's face it, if we don't cling to the cross, our battle will be our doctrinal position on something. Our battle will be why our church is cooler than another church. Our battle will be all kinds of things that look like Christendom, but they're not the important thing. And the important thing is the cross of Jesus Christ. The gospel where Jesus died for all men's sins, yours and mine included, and theirs, and rose again to give them brand new life. And they have a choice to receive that. If it wasn't for that, what difference does the rest make? It's like trying to dress up. You know, like when a person dies, they put makeup on you, they gut you, and they kind of, I mean, forgive me for being a little crude, they gut you and they try to make you look nice, but you're still dead. And it's like everything else is putting makeup on the corpse. The only thing that puts life in a dead body is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're like, you know, well, I just, I just really want to legislate people to be nice. Good luck with that. See how well that works for you. It doesn't work for me. But I can tell you this. When a soul gives their life to Jesus Christ, everything changes. And if I don't cling to the cross and the battle, I'll forget why I'm fighting in the first place. So someone's crazy and they're nuts and they're doing stuff and they're being mental and they're this and they're, you know, whatever, and their campaigns and their thoughts and their everything. Look at they need Jesus. That's what they need. And I need Jesus. And if it weren't for the cross of Christ, we'd all go to hell without a choice. And the nastier a person is, in my opinion, the more they need Jesus. I think they're advertising. You know, in the last ten years, there's a whole company called Lost. You're probably familiar with it. And they wear shirts that say Lost. I think that's someone telling me I should preach to them because they already says Lost. I'm like, well, I was lost too once. Would you like to be found? And you watch these shirts where it's just kind of like, you know, they're, they're advertising how empty their life is. And we're afraid to say something. They're not afraid to tell you how stupid they're being. Well, then why not? Let's not be afraid to tell them how they could be delivered from it. But that's the battle. And the battle will not be, hey, drunk guy, stop drinking. Hey, violent guy, stop hitting your girlfriend. 
yeah, we'd like them, we like those things, but it's like, look at you need Jesus because I would not have had the power to stop drinking had it not been for Jesus. No, I didn't hit girls, but I would say I, I knew what it's like to be very violent. And you couldn't, I mean, if you would have told me to stop being violent, I probably just would have hit you, which would have been counterproductive for both of us. But it was Jesus who changed that. And there's the cool part. So when I consecrate, it's this. Let the vulnerable part be cut. Let it heal. Let God heal it. And then let's get back to the cross. Are you with me so far? And that all comes under one category. The rest won't be developed as much, but it needs to be here because that's what he spends the most time on. And that, again, is consecrate. So our first step, and by the way, when we get to these battles, the first one we'll see great victory. The next two we'll see a, a defeat first. And the question is, which of these things aren't being done? Does that make sense? So you will have this checklist to say, which one are we missing? Does that make sense? Here's the first one. Consecrate. Everything belongs to God. No hidden things. No darkness. No, this is the east wing. Don't go near it. None of that. God gets full right to every part of my life. Fair enough? That's how we start this. We consecrate. Now, verse 13. It came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho. Now we know where we're at. Oh, can I say this? Can I say this? One last thing. Forgive me because I, I don't want to miss this. That when we were doing the Passover, something really radical took place. During the Passover, I want to remind you, remember that's a seven-day thing. The manna stops. Did you notice that? We started living off the fruit of the land. And I find this interesting. In this celebration, this celebration of freedom because of what God has done for us, in our case, looking at the cross, the nation looks back and looks forward. We look back at the deliverance and the deliverer from our land of bondage. But we look forward as we taste the hints of the new land. Because I remind you, this is the place God has for us. And as this is the place we get a hint, we get the appetizer. Have you ever eaten an appetizer and gone, oh man. We had one of those bring-in shares. I love having bring-in shares at my house. And the one of the reasons I love having bring-in shares at my house is because you leave the rest of it with me. You've got to keep your eye on me because I, I, there are times I, I struggle with, oh, that's really good. We should probably tuck some of that away. But I'll never forget the time Luca showed up with that, that curry, man. I can still taste it in my mouth. On one of those rough moments, I could just close my eyes and taste the curry and go, oh, things are good. And I just remember that I'm thinking, man, wherever this came from, I want to live there. Because the appetizer, the little bit that I got was so good. And I was like, man, I need more of this. Well, now here we are celebrating at the cross, if you will, the place of our deliverance. And as we are there clinging to that spot, I go, wow, I'm looking back at that deliverance. I am free. And the reason if I don't look at that, I go to battle, I think I have to win. I've already won. The moment I said yes to Jesus, I have the victory. So if I'm going to share Jesus with someone and they say no, I, I still, I'm still not defeated. I haven't lost. I'm still saved. It isn't like God says, well, forget it now. The deal's off. I mean, the moment he saved me, he saved me. The issue is, I, I, I want you to know, I want you to say yes so that you can win. I've already won. There's the point. But if I don't look back at that deliverance, I could forget that. But when I look forward, I realize that when I see these moments, like for instance, I don't know about for you, but for me, that time of praise and worship that we were having meant a whole lot to me. And I just, I love feeling like I'm in the arms, in the embrace of my God. And I look at that and I think, man, I'm embracing the reality that I'm transitioning from the old life to the new. And how am I doing that? I'm tasting a little bit of the new here. 
Well, with that in mind, let's move forward. So, the, from this point now, here's the deal. It came to pass, verse 13. When Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted his eyes and looked. And behold, a man stood, uh, stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No. Should I let that soak in? I'm like, no, I give you A or B. And he said, no. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Joshua fell on his face to the earth and we worshiped. And he said, what does the Lord say to my servant? The commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take the sandals off your foot for the place in where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. Chapter six, we're moving forward still. Joshua was securely set up, shut up, because of the children of Israel. None went out, none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king, and the mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all you men of war. You shall go around the city once. This you shall do for six days. The seven, uh, the seven priests shall bear seven trumpets, and seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark, But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. So it shall come to pass when they make a big long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people will shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and all the people will go straight before them. Good luck, boy. Now go tell everyone that. Which one of you wants to tell people this? Okay, so follow me on this for a minute. The first thing, again, is consecrate. What's the first thing? Thank you. Now, I know you got more in you. I'm giving it to you. Give it back to me. Come on now. What's the first thing? Okay, thank you. Now, here's the second thing. Ready? Communicate. And here's the idea. We talk about prayer, and we get it. We get so crazy with this concept. But we'll play this out with me, because I think his interplay with this angel of the Lord, or, or whether it be the Lord or however, it's clear that we could get a really different view of prayer when we look at this. Joshua is, is he's, what's on his mind is the battle. You get that, right? I mean, he's looking at Jericho. He's near Jericho, obviously. And he sees a guy and his sword is drawn. And you say, are you for me? Are you on our side or are you on their side? And he says, no. And you're like, what? And here is the point. Joshua's asking, are you on my side? And, and, and if God were to respond in the simplest, he'd say, the point is not, am I on your side? The question is, are you on mine? That's the difference. That's why he says no, because what he gave him was A and a B, and the A and a B, neither one worked. Have you ever done that to God? God, here are my two choices. I give you, here's A, here's B, and God says, I choose C. And you say, I didn't give you a C, and God says, exactly. Here's the way prayer works. Prayer works with, you know, when we first get saved, and if you're brand new in Christ, can I just say, don't rob yourself of years like some of us that were that stupid. Let's actually live the way God calls us to. So what we're saying is, God, here's my side. I want to get you on my side. That's my heart's desire here. Wouldn't that be great? So here's my side. I really want this. I really need this. I really crave this. Bless my side. And with that, God says no. 
I want you to, to take my side of it. I want you to be on my side, boy. That's the point here. So listen, the word for prayer, pros eukamai. So the Greek word for prayer, pros eukamai. Try that. Pros eukamai. Pros eukamai. Pros means towards, like prosthetic. You means good, like a eulogy. Kamai means will, plan, or intention. So the idea of it is towards the good plan or intention. Does that make sense? So the question is, how, does that, how do we define that as prayer? Well, it's actually quite simple. I'm either trying to get God towards my good plan, prayer, or I'm casting myself at His. And that's exactly the issue with Joshua. Joshua says, are you on my side, man? And you can see the angel going, no, 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 no. You need to be on my side. And that's the area of communicating. But I can't communicate with God the way I need to communicate unless I first consecrate. Does that make sense? I need my heart open. Or what's going to happen is God may actually tell me to do something that I'm like, no way, I'm not going to do that. That person burned me. That person, God's like, we need to deal with that first. We need to get that out of your heart so you can hear me for what I'm going to call you to. Hey, maybe there's some of you here. Maybe it's me where it's like the Lord's like, you know what? I've got such an amazing plan. But, and you even can hear it. You're like, you know, I feel like I'm drawn to this thing or I don't want to go here or I don't want to see this happen. And God's like, but I really not. I'm not telling you that if you're waiting, it's because of this. But I'm telling you, you should seek the Lord like I am on this. But if there, maybe it's like, but you know what? There's this thing in your heart that right now if I bless you the way that you want me to bless you, it's only going to help that thing be more firm, firmly rooted in your life. And I don't want it in there. That bitterness, that contention, that deceitfulness of sin in this area or that area, because I don't want that. So what I really want is for you to communicate with me, and here's the way it works. I've got this plan. And I want to warn you, this plan isn't going to make sense. But that doesn't mean it isn't going to work. And God has this way of going, you get, here's A or here's B. I've already surmised the situation. You've ever done this? I've really looked at the situation carefully. And here are your options. You're like Kowalski. And here's your options. And God's like, you know, yeah, all those options seem to make sense, but they really are going to give you the credit. I, I, we need to do something here that's so cockamamie, so crazy, that in the end of it all, even the scientists are going to try to make up stories on how this couldn't possibly happen. It's going to be so illogical. And then you have to be like Joshua. And if you're like Joshua, what you're going to have to do ultimately is you're going to have to go tell your soldiers what you guys need to do is take a walk. And when you're going to take that walk, you notice you're going to take that walk with some priests and you're going to take that walk with the ark that's going to be with you because what we really want to make sure from the very beginning is that we recognize that this is God's battle, not ours. So, if that's the case... Uh, Daniel, can you show us, and I'm so glad you're here, by the way, bro. Can you show us some of those, those pictures that we sent of Jericho? There's some things you might not know about Jericho. And as a matter of fact, I'm pretty confident that Joshua wouldn't have known either. Like, for instance, how big or how many people. So, here's the deal. God says, this is what I want you to do. Because I don't know if you've ever really thought this through. This is a, that's a bird's eye view right there. Uh, an aerial photograph. And that aerial photograph is the entirety of Jericho. The old Jericho. There was, there's a couple of Jerichos, by the way, by the time you get done with it. But this is the one during Joshua's day. The one during Joshua's day, and let's go back to that other one for just a moment. 
you take a look, all of this area here would be your original outside retaining wall, and then there's a wall inside there as well. That entirety, go to the next one if you would, please, Daniel. That entirety, this entire area, look at this map, is actually roughly 600 meters. So 600 meters is, in essence, if you think about it, like six times or so, the length of a football pitch. How long does it take you to walk six times the length of a football pitch? Any ideas? Now, I want to remind you, this is only the men of war who are supposed to do this, which at this point, by the way, is roughly a half a million guys. So half a million guys, and you're going to circle 600 meters. Half hour? What do you think? I mean, how do you try to get 500,000 guys to walk around a city in the first place, right? And this is what he says. I want you to walk around. Don't be talking. Don't be crazy. Just walk around. Put the ark in the middle. You've got guys in the front. You've got guys in the back. Priests are going to carry that. And guys are going to walk around and do this. And Joshua, I want to warn you, is an early riser. Everybody in the city is freaked out. They are freaked out already because the, the, the river's parted. And you're all trying to get a good night's sleep anyways. And you've, maybe some of you have been around a cockerel. And you want that thing shot. Because they certainly don't crow at a time you like it to crow. Some of you actually want to shoot people that wake you up much later than a cockerel will. But you got, so here you are laying in bed and you hear... For a half hour. And you're like, what is that? And you look out, and there's a half a million people around your city. All dressed for war, except for a priest in a box with a couple angels facing each other in gold. And a guy's with these horns going... For a half hour. Because you've communicated with God and God says, I've got a plan. Here's my plan. Get everyone. Let's walk around the city. Except we get seven priests with seven horns that go. For a half hour. And then go back to the camp. How would you like to be in Jericho? Do you think God's doing like psychological warfare? I mean, imagine you wake up, you look out the wall. Now, what would it be like to be Rahab? And you look out and you think, those boys better keep their promise. Seven days, think about six days, God has, I genuinely believe one of the reasons he did this was for Rahab. Because now, it isn't like they told Rahab when they were going to strike. But if they heard that horn, you think that means go to fight the first day. You hear that horn, you think that's charge. So imagine Rahab getting up and getting all of her family. You need to come in here. And then you wait, and then they leave. And you're like, what the heck was that? Until the next morning. And it's... Again, Rahab gathers all of her, fam- all of her family. A half hour of this. At this point, you can imagine her family going, what are you doing? They're going to attack sooner or later. 
the king at this point is pulling his hair out. And off they go back to their battle. Back to their, back to their camp. The camp of rolling the place of consecration. It's Wednesday now. Because now at this point, the priests are a little hoarse. They've been tired of blowing. And you're like, ah, this again. And Rahab gathers his people. But let's just say it was only a half hour. Although it's conservative to say that. On the seventh day, you were marching around the city seven times. So what's seven times a half hour? Three and a half hours of this. Three and a half hours. Three and a half hours of that. And then, everyone has to look at each other and go, Ah! Is that the weirdest thing you ever heard? Which, what do you want to be? Do you want to be the soldier that has the scream? The priest with the horn and the guy that carries the ark? Every one of them has to feel like this is the craziest thing I've ever done. After he's parted the, I want to, I want to, the and the Jordan, fed you with manna for forty years. After he's pulled water out of a rock. Listen. Once you get to that place where your heart is consecrated, once you get to that place where you start communicating with God and say, God, speak to me. What I want is to be on your side, not you to be on mine. Then the next thing after that, you would go from consecrate to communicate to congregate. In other words, we gather everyone together and we say, hey, this is what God told me now. Join me with this. And that's what we read. Verse 6 of the next chapter again. Joshua, and we're almost done now. Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and he said to them, Take the Ark of the Covenant and let this, the seven priests bear the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Proceed and march around the city. Let him who was armed advance before the Ark of the Lord. Imagine, there you are. You're there with something ready to shoot. Do you want to be the guy with the horn? You're thinking, if they're going to shoot anyone, they're going to shoot me. I'm blowing a horn for a half hour. So Joshua spoke to them. He said to the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets, before the Lord advanced and blew the trumpets and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. The armament went before the priest who blew the trumpets and the rear guard came after the ark while the priest continued blowing. Notice, continued blowing the trumpets. Joshua commanded the people saying, you shall not shout nor make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you, shout. Then you shall shout, which would be appropriate. So we have the ark of the Lord circled the, circled the city, going around it once. Then they came into the camp and lodged at the camp. But imagine the conversations in the camp while that was taking place. Notice again in verse 12, Joshua arose early in the morning. The priest took the ark of the Lord Seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns. That's exactly what this is, by the way. It's a ram's horn. This is an official shofar, if you're familiar. Shofar just means horn in Hebrew. This is what they would have blown, something like this. And it says that they 
The priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord went on continually and blew the trumpets, and the armed men went before them. But the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. Verse 14, on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp, and this they did for six days. And this is where we're going to bring it to close with our last thing, and that is initiate. In other words, get it going. So this is the way it works. First of all, I know you're going to be facing battles. I don't know what those battles are. Battles of friends, battles of the world, battles of your flesh, battles of the enemy. You're going to be these battles. These battles of wanting to move forward with Christ or wanting to stay still. Wanting to go back to your old sin. Wanting to go back to who you were. Or embracing the person God's making you to be. Who's infinitely better and we all could be thankful. Can I just say out of love for you, or rather can I say for love for me, be the new person. It's a better person for all of us. And with that, those battles will take place. And what happens is, first of all, it's got to start at the heart. It's got to start with that tender part cut open so that God can rip that stuff out that doesn't belong there so we could make himself at home there instead. And he's not going to be at home with all that nastiness that doesn't remotely look like him. So he's going to get all of that out. It's going to be time to heal. And then he's going to go, let's get to the cross. Why are we doing this in the first place? So then I'm, so I'm consecrating. And then I guess I'm consecrating. And this is a daily thing for me. Because I want to say, are there new things? Are there new problems I'm holding on to? New sins I'm becoming numb to? Are there new offenses that I'm embracing? Is there a new thing that I'm looking at? Because if that's the case, then I'm already going to be, God, this is going to have to be cut open again. And then with that, as it's the case, I want to communicate with you, God. And it isn't like, God, now that I'm clean, do my stuff. Now it's like, God, I would never want this otherwise, but I'm going to throw myself and say, your will's the best. My life is a book and it's blank now. Write your script in it. I've got some cool ideas. If you really want some suggestions, I know you don't, but if you want some suggestions, I'll throw some your way. But, but in the end of it all, your will's going to be better. I can't write a script as great as yours. Then, after all of that, I'm going to go and I'm going to congregate. So, and I'm like, you know what's going to happen? It's like, look, at, when it comes to things like exercise, I used to love to exercise, but I've never been one that does it alone. What I really want is I want to be in those situations where you have a couple of guys. Like, if you're going to run, it's always nicer to run with a couple of people. Now, I've never been much of a runner except when chased. But, but there are other things. It's like, you know, I, I like team sports because it's always around. You're around other people and you're enjoying that. And the reason I say that is, is like when you get to that place where, like, you know, things are going to change now. And if I'm going to change, then what I really want is I want to get some guys around that want to do the same. So after, after I've consecrated and after I'm communicating with God that I should be constantly doing, it talks about praying without ceasing. And the reason is I have to constantly keep throwing myself at God's will because, let's be honest, I'll take it back and have my own plan. So then when that happens, I'm like, I'm going to say, and I have guys like this. And as you can bet, I'll be like, Daniel, I believe the Lord's put on my, this on my heart. Walk with me in this. You know, Bruno, Hugo, Daniel, David, you know, I know that this is, I, I really see the Lord speaking this into my life right now. Hold me accountable to this. You know, I really believe that the Lord's going to move us into a season of this, of prayer or memorizing scripture or, or okay, let's, let's start dividing. Let's take a look at these, the Gospels and let's compare them now. And let's really grow in this area. Who's with me? Who wants to work out with me in this? And that's congregating. That's what Joshua has to do. He's like, this is what the Lord said, and he didn't tell me to do it alone. And then with that, the last thing to do is let's initiate it. Let's get it going then. Because what we could do is say, well, that's great. We've all got these plans, but now are we going to do it? 
And ultimately, of course, we know that what we're going to get to next week, God willing, is the first of these three battles and the victory that comes from it. And the cool part about it is we already know there's a victory involved. They have to trust that there's a victory because they haven't read it yet. So whatever the battles that are going to be facing you, they're all intended for victory. But we need to make sure, and again, listen, consecrate, communicate with God, hear what he has to say about it, and then congregate, get the people around to say, hey, let's do this thing together, and then let's initiate it. Now, Jesus would say, hey, like, don't just, you know, a man that hears the word but doesn't do what it says, well, that's like a guy who built his house in the sand. James who seems a little less, or a little bit you know, less tactful perhaps, says, you know what it's like? A guy that hears the word but doesn't do it? It's like somebody who looks in the mirror, hear me on this, and then walks away and forgets what they look like. Which is interesting. Because the idea of not doing what the word says, I could forget that I'm loved, that I'm adopted, that I'm held in the arms of a loving God because I'm too busy chasing after my own thing and I start to think God's as selfish as I am. But if I do what he says, I remember who I am. I'm loved. I'm adored by a God who can't take his eyes off of me. And it isn't because I'm so darn cute, that's for sure. Because I'm loved, because he's loved. So listen, as we go to prayer, what about you tonight? Where are you at? The greatest consecration took place the moment my God died on the cross for you so we could make you his. To consecrate means we set ourselves apart unto him. And it starts at the cross where we say, yes, Jesus, I accept this gift you've praised, this price you've paid for me, this gift you've given. And then in doing so, now make me yours. Like a bride who says yes when the guy drops the knee with the ring, when she does say yes, she's agreeing to be his. She doesn't just say, yes, I agree to the ring. Wouldn't that be lame? But I've heard, let's face it, some of us, that could be our story, our beginning of our Christian walk, was I accepted the gift of Jesus because I liked the ring. And he's like, uh, the person comes with it. But let's face it, in some circles, Christianity isn't about the person, it's about the ring. It's about a lot of other things. It's like, oh, you get a house? I get a house, I get an allowance, I get protection and provision and a ring? Perfect. He's like, uh, that's actually the benefits package. The thing you're really getting is me. Man, let's not forget that. If you have said yes to Jesus, and I know many of you have, I have. I'm sure that shouldn't be a shocker for you. I want to be ready. Hey, let's face it. In the last year, crazy things have arisen. Crazy things. And I'm convinced one of the reasons the Lord has allowed these things is so that we could see what it looks like to walk in victory even in the face of the battle. So as we pray now, let's not be in a hurry here if this is okay. I want to give time for the Lord to work in our own hearts here. So pray with me, would you please? Ooh, Lord. You are uh, so good. And I want to thank you, Lord, for what I can learn from Joshua here. I want to thank you for how I could learn 
there are really important things to do to prepare myself for this battle. For the battles that are not an option, they're not an elective, they're required. I recognize some of those some of those battles, some of those conflicts, some of those tribulations. Even as Paul said, we through many tribulations inherit or receive the kingdom of God. We through many tribulations must go through these tribulations to receive the kingdom of God. And I I recognize that. But I recognize that the biggest regrets are never the battles. They're the way I've handled them. And there have been times, Lord, where I, I, I feel like I've been blindsided. Primarily, to be honest, because I haven't been consecrated like I should be, so I'm not ready to respond as I should. Where my heart could be sealed out of either offense, which just means I'm listening to the enemy. How stupid is that? because I've allowed sin to lie to me and I've embraced that instead shame on me Lord but I lay that before you I don't want a heart that's hard to anything but the world and its temptations the enemy and his lies the flesh and its impulses but to you completely soft and open the most vulnerable and tender parts of me Exposed, Lord. Yeah, I know I'll feel pain. But I'll also experience the greatest pleasure, and I, and I want that. So, Lord, again, I just pray right now that you do a, a great surgery in all of us right now and cut open our hearts and let the gunk come out. And Maybe tonight as your Holy Spirit starts to reveal to us maybe people that we need to come to and ask for their forgiveness for the way that we've held on to things against them or whatever, Lord, that that tonight we would allow you to do that and bring healing. And as you bring that healing, Lord, bring us back to the cross where we see the victory. We can look back and see our deliverer and our deliverance. And we can look forward and realize that the peace and the joy and the love that flood us as you cleanse us are only foretastes for the great event to come. But fruits of land that we have yet to live in completely like we should. And we pray that you would develop a healthy prayer life where we can listen more. Where our conversations do not revolve around first our own mouth. Lord, as you've given us two ears but one mouth, that we should listen twice as much. Make us people who listen and hear you. Speak of how you... And if we were to listen, even as we read in this chapter, Lord, how you show us your victory. So the first thing you tell us, Lord, is you've already promised us these victories, that we're already victorious as we, before we even head in. Or as we read it in Romans, we're more than conquerors. 
Many of us are familiar with that, but we really don't know it as well in our heart. So God, I pray tonight for us in this. That we could really genuinely communicate as we should. Not just consecrate, but communicate. And pour forth our heart and cast our cares, but also, Lord, listen intently as you speak victory and words of life to us. And you lay forth, Lord, your plan. And it doesn't have to make sense. It doesn't have to be logical. But it has to be yours. So let us hear that, Lord, I pray. And as we hear that, Lord, I pray that you would gather brothers and sisters around us that we could congregate, that we could be in that place, Lord, where we could have other people that are challenging us to continue to walk in the way you tell us, especially when it's something crazy enough that we're going to need the encouragement to step forward in faith to do it. So as we consecrate and communicate and congregate, then Lord, let us be people who initiate that we actually do it. Do your will and see your glory and your victory before us. We do confess Jesus is our Lord and Savior, that he died on the cross for us. We recognize there's a choice to be made. Now, for many of us, we've already made that choice. But just in case there is anyone who has not yet made that choice, as Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose again on the third day, just like Scripture promised, it asks your permission to save you, transform you, and be your Lord. I'm going to pray this prayer, and if you agree, I ask you to give a confident amen at the end, and what you're saying is, I agree, let that be my prayer. So be it in my life. And here's the prayer. God, I am a sinner, and you've paid the price for my sin on the cross by sending your only begotten Son, Jesus the Christ, to die there. And as he died on the cross, my sins were paid. And just like Scripture promised, not only at his death, but at his resurrection on the third day, he offers me new life, and I say yes. So Jesus, pay my bill. Be my Savior. Be my ransom. But as you were resurrected, be my Lord. Lead me now. I'm yours. In Jesus, in your name, if you agree, I ask you to say amen. So Lord, I just pray tonight that your cleansing would so sweep through us, so flood through us, so wash through us, that we would walk out here different people, free and at peace. In Jesus' name. Amen.